0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the One 180 Podcast. This is me, the awesome host, Nick. And of course, I'm here today with my awesome co-host, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening uh, to us today.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So as many of you already know, Paul and I belong to a scout group in Metro Vancouver called the 180 Pacific Coast Scout Group. Today, we are welcoming another founding member of our group that has a successful career in accounting and business transformation. She's also an experienced and dedicated scout leader with over 20 years in scouting. So, Paul, can you just give, uh, you know, more introduction about our guest?
1: Thanks, Nick. Uh, So we have a special guest today who was a part of many of our first initial strategic planning sessions and helped launch a lot of our um, for strategic plan, such as uh, recruiting over 100 leaders for Scouts Canada uh, from, from the Vancouver uh, metro area. Uh, she also uh, was part of our second international project over to the Philippines. Uh, as a longtime Scout uh, leader, she's uh, been help managing a group in, in Richmond uh, and been part of that group for over 20 years. Um, and professionally, she holds a CPA designation uh, as a charter accountant. Uh, and she's also a project uh, professional project manager, uh, having roles with Deloitte. Uh, Smouth L- LLP, uh, Amazon in the US, and she, currently she is a senior manager at uh, local favorite uh, Lululemon. So Nick, please welcome our guest, Scudder Emily Wan. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, so, so, uh, uh, so Emily, I, I didn't get all the details, maybe you can share with our listeners uh, your story and anything we may have missed.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I... I'm a 180th alumni, and so I'm I'm very proud to have kind of gone through the program and also like, you know, together with Paul and some of the other members, um, you know, really that kind of, you know, put our kind of brains and kind of passion together to kind of put together the crew is something that I am still very passionate about. Um, and I have been part of the scouting movement for over uh, 20 years. So, so I started as a Cub Scout. Uh, and then when I became of age to become a leader, I became a troop scouter. Troop is aged uh, 11 to 14. Then I became a group commissioner of my group in 32nd Richmond. So uh, it's something that I kept on, even though you know I have kind of moved around, like I've went uh, when I was working at Amazon, I lived in Seattle for a bit, but I was uh, still connected to the scouting movement because I believe that this is a program that really does help to create a better world and to uh, generate leaders like for you know, the, the world and kind of make it a better. And then I think Paul kind of covered like you know what you know outside of scouting life has been. Um, I was born in Hong Kong. I moved to Canada uh, at that time. I uh, was actually just kind of learning English at that time. And then uh, my parents put me in Scouts and I think through it, I gained a lot of confidence. I kind of learned a lot of leadership skills. I went to school in UBC. I graduated from the Bachelor of Commerce program, uh, majored in accounting and international business. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, did the uh, whole uh, chartered professional accounting group Then went to um, industry. So I went to uh, in Seattle. I worked with Amazon in their uh, accounting and finance group. Um, And then, yeah, I'm I'm now at Lululemon. um, And I am I have sort of like a blended role. So I both use my accounting and finance skills, and then I also use my project management skills. uh, A lot of which I actually learned from the crew. So it's been it's been interesting. It's been interesting. um, uh, Like you know. Uh, interesting path. And I, you know, was kind of sharing before, like I didn't, if I had to look back, you know, 10 years ago when I was, uh, you know, sitting in a retreat with you know, Paul and some of the other, um, crew members, like thinking about like, am I, you know, where would I be 10 years later? Uh, I don't think I would have really thought this is, this is where I'm at. Um, but, but I think that's, that's the kind of magic of like, you know, when you put yourself in those places where you're kind of pushing yourself to try new things, like, you know, you might be setting yourself in a path that uh you never know where you're gonna be. You know, all you know that is you are going to be um you know picking up skills that you never know you're gonna you need.
0: Mm. Interesting. Thank you for sharing, Sarah Emily. Um just commenting on the part where you say try new things and pursue there and you know see what life happens to you. Is that is that is that what happened when you decided you want to pursue accounting as you know your professional career, or is there something else there?
2: So I don't know whether you guys have done any like you know strengths ass- assessments or yeah. uh, things like that. Um, knowledge is very important to me. I think it's one of my personal values. So um, when going through university and choosing a major, I thought that accounting was one of those things where you know you could you could learn um, and it's like a useful skill that you can apply. Um, so, you know, that's why I took that route, but I think like deep down, um, what I am interested in is kind of like, you know, business as a whole. So mm. I saw accounting as kind of understanding the numbers as kind of a pathway of, you know, actually learning how about how a business runs. Um, so when I progressed in my career and, you know, I came to kind of, uh, like a fork in the road where do I want to continue a professional accounting career? Um, or do I want to, um, you know, join like an accounting and finance department and a company and actually be part of how a company operates and, you know, make mm. business decisions? Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I took that fork because I know like, you know, that was why I went to business school. You know, this is what mm. I want to do. And I think, you know, bigger picture is I always want to be part of an environment that would, uh, you know, where I'm adding value. I think that's, that's really important to me and where I'm doing things that make an impact. So, you know, I tried in my, uh, you know, throughout my uh, career to, you know, always do things that, um, you know, where, you know, my, my daily work is going to make a positive impact um, mm. to whether it's out the workplace, you know, the, the business that I happen to be working at, uh, also like to the broader community. Um, so I think when you always make decisions, like going back to where your core values are, um, you're always going to be in, in a good spot, you know, because you're not, you're not counteracting with, you know, what makes you kind of like feel satisfied and like good on the inside.
1: Emily, so I guess the next step for you was moving to Amazon, going overseas to the States. What was your thought process behind that decision? Was it more about your career and just changing the field that you were in or more of a life choice that you decided to do uh, at that point in time in your life?
2: Yeah, that was um, that was a pretty big decision because I have to also move countries, like move cities, uh, move my life to a different um, city. And I think one thing that you know I was thinking about too is because I'm i you know so connected with uh, my my scouts group, is like how mm-hmm. is that going to work out? So I really had to exercise. I guess I was almost like you know trying uh, exercise like how how would I uh, you know keep the culture of the team. Like, even though I may not be like, you know, physically uh, present. Uh, And then also like, you know, how do I enroll, like, Mm. you know, give people more opportunities to step up to be leaders, like, as I was kind of in there. Um, Professionally, it was a really great experience uh, for me because it was such a a large uh, company uh, and, you know, global as well. So my role there was in uh, treasury and also like mergers and acquisitions. Um, so with the mergers and acquisitions uh, side, I actually got to see a lot of, uh, you know, everything from like a startup size company um, and, you know, uh, where, you know, their technology or their kind of expertise was um, getting acquired and then uh, seeing that kind of operationalize and kind of uh, you know, once the acquisition happened, like how do you integrate and kind of get yeah, yeah. synergies from that? Um, so the interesting part is like, you know, there's a lot of kind of like people because, you know, you're, you're actually are bringing together, you know, two different teams, yeah. um, where oh. the culture might be very different. Um, and then, you know, the part that I was more helping with was more with bringing their kind of like financial operations together. Yeah. But even, even then there is like a, there is definitely like a human component to it. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing that I learned at Amazon is working with a global team. Um, so I had, uh, you know, parts of my team that were, you know, operating in, you know, different time zones. So, and, you know, we still need to, to work together to uh, deliver like a, like a common product. So how, you know, how, how do we work together, even though we're not uh, together and, you know, maybe different time zones. And I think it. big, it, uh, I think that the work experience is a little bit like, you know, drinking from a fire hose. So it's yeah. like a lot of things okay. coming at once. So it's like, you know, you're, instead of like, you know, being kind of spoon fed, like here's one task at one time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, here's a fire hose of
0: oh my things gosh. going at you.
2: you. And, you know, you, what I really sharpened my skills was how should I prioritize? Because you cannot possibly do everything. So you had to develop a really good system of prioritizing, you know, what's important. And, you know, you're reacting to the more urgent things that are coming in, but, you know, you're still making time to plan for the very important, but like not as urgent and kind of build in time for that long-term planning. So, you know, I felt like through that experience, you know, I I learned a lot that, you know, I'm able to kind of take that and, you know, I'm I'm still actively using some of those skills now. Yeah. I,
1: I think I always tell people like, you know, to join our group or join scouting, like, especially in this like older adult section, like they want to improve their time management, right? That's what they tell us, right? But you can't really improve your time management if you don't have anything to manage. So if you're not, if you're not in a very demanding job or if you don't sign up for volunteer opportunities, it's really hard to, to fabricate training for time management unless you're, you know, there's a fire hose of stuff that you need to do and you really have to actually, you know, think about how you're actually doing your work not just like when or what you're doing, right?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think like, I, I learned that I feel like my tolerance for being able to, you know, you know, juggle a bunch, uh, many things mm-hmm. came from, uh, you know, being in scouting and, you know, being part of the rover crew, yeah. um, because, you know, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of held to a certain level of standards, right? You know, your, your peers are kind of holding you up to, uh, be able to, uh, you know, deliver, you know. So you're you're juggling that, you know. You're you're volunteering a lot, you know. At that time, you know, school, like which mm-hmm. is university, like demanding, and then also potentially like you know work, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's part time or like internships. Uh, ha- having kind of gone through and kind of like that being part of my life for so long puts me when I you know I when those situations where you know in the worst it's like, you know, a lot of priorities being thrown once, you know, and, you know, life only gets more complicated, I feel, Uh, because, you know, I, you know, I thought that life was complicated, you know, when I was kind of the rover age, but, you know, I think it it gets even more complicated because, you know, some people are starting families. There's, there's kind of like more stuff to deal with is that you, you need to have a really good sense of kind of like what keeps you in balance and kind of what keeps you motivated and then know when to, uh, say, uh, no, mm. uh, that's something that I, I had to learn, uh, really hard because I, you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, helping and like being a part of a team yeah. and, you know, I am still working on it, but, uh, it's one of the things you know, I had to you know, learn, learn when to say no or, um, spread out longer to do something. So instead of trying to make a whole bunch of goals and try to happen all in one year, It's really choosing and being discerning about, okay, here's the real goals that, you know, I want to go after this year, be really focused and targeting those. And then there's some that are like, Hey, this is kind of more like a someday. Maybe I don't need to stress myself out to try to all accomplish it in one year.
1: Mm. Yeah. So when you're going through that process of leaving Deloitte and a good job here in Vancouver, and then moving overseas to Seattle what was the thought process around that? Was it because you wanted to experience something different in your career or was it more um, something in your personal life that you wanted to leave Vancouver to get new experiences?
2: I, I think it's a little bit both. So I think when you take time to think about what you're looking for uh, and then you kind of have your own roadmap about thinking about you know, what experience you'd like to have uh, in your life, like I'm a big believer in kind of self-fulfilling prophecies so it's like mm-hmm. you know naturally you kind of start uh being attuned to like you know the opportunities that might be out there and available and uh and if you're open to it and you kind of take it then uh, it starts showing up so it i i think like in this case it was actually more like i think the opportunity just kind of presented to me i wasn't really actively pursuing it uh but because you know i was Opens that opportunity, as in like, when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I you know, you went for it. Like that's that's part of it as well. Um, and I think like some of the uh, like I, I think like one thing it's very important early in your career is to really build a, a strong foundation. So you know, going with um, uh, places where you know you you're getting a lot of like mentors to get ship. And like skills training and kind of that kind of hard skills. Um, it's really important, I think. Like, you know, first three to five years in your career. And then after that, um, you know, then you know, you, it's kind of like you know, the, the world's kind of open in terms of like where you wanna take it because you you kind of have those hard skills that you you know came from you know, university, and then you kind of like went through that kind of training, you have the foundational skills, then after that you you wanna develop the different skill sets, you know. You know, go for it. And I think one really valuable piece of career advice that one of uh, my mentors at, um, uh, like at, kind of like my workspaces has kind on of is like, you know, your career is long, like it's a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, and you know, you're going to be taking paths that you know you never know what you never know that you're going to be. So if you're too hard set on like one. Path. like you're actually closing your own doors because you're not allowing yourself to kind of explore and like learn different skills um so I feel like that was a you know that's something that I learned because I wouldn't I didn't actually think that I would have uh and I, I think it's very similar to what Paul is doing right now is that you know I there's a class that I took in university that's called like management information systems yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. yeah it's like technology for accountants and it's a class that I thought that, you know, I would never use. This is the class that I like. I'm, like. I'm taking it. You know, I didn't think I would ever need to use it. And it's probably the skills that I use the most right now.
1: I got, I got a short story about that. Cause I literally just mentioned that to my coworker the other day that I took MIS in 2005, right? This was undergrad. So 15 years, 16 years ago, I know dating ourselves and, uh, the problem is at Fraser Health, where I work, you know, a lot of information is still, like a lot of systems are, are quite dated and we're actually using like some 2010 technology. So I don't know if you guys use like MS Access, but MS Access was one of the things that I learned in MIS, like back in, in, in that class. And I didn't very, do a very good job of it. And I, I thought, you know, we're going to move on to something else. You know, I don't need to learn this MS Access thing. And then literally... Last week we implemented an MS Access solution because we didn't have any other technology to support. It. I'm like, and, and you know I, I didn't I went to I didn't I went to economics. I didn't I went to consulting, kind of like off of that you know information technology stream. But now everything is so much reliant on information technology that uh, or management systems, right? Like you have to kind of know it now, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's it, you know technology changes. So it's one of those things. It's like even though like you you know have been in your career and you know you have your career path like it is always good to continue to Mm upskill and you know pay attention to trends that are coming up so you know you know personally like I you know after my uh, county designation um you know I did my like professional um management professional, project, uh, project management professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, that that was, you know, for me, you know, I want to you know learn what is like the proper way. Mm-hmm. This is the golden rule of like, this is like how to run a project. Like what is that uh, kind of exact way of doing it? And you know, there was one thing for me to, you know, you know, I want to learn it because I want to make sure that, you know, I'm going through the right guidelines when I'm organizing a project, like for my company. Um, also to kind of learn, from other people, because when you're going into classes, you're learning from other people that are doing project management. Mm. Um, and the other thing that I'm, uh, you know, learning right now is uh, using kind of like beginners level like coding, you know, because that mm. that's the new thing. You know, how do you how do you deal with like you know large sets of data? And you know, it's almost like doing like a you know computer science yeah. like one one course, right? Because it's like you know that's kind of where a trend is going now. So I think like being open to learning and kind of like keeping that up is important if you want to stay current.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Actually, now that you mentioned about, you know, learning computer science, learning technology, applying those things to finance and everything, I was wondering, is that your current role and responsibilities here at Lululemon or is there something else?
2: Yeah, so, There's two areas. So one is more like business integrations. So when we have like a new uh, business line, uh, we may need to, and we need to make sure that um, from an accounting perspective, we're actually like recording and capturing those transactions. So a lot of times means actually like uh, making changes to some of our existing financial systems or like we may be like um, implementing or integrating it. Uh, so that involves testing because when you have, let's say you have like one error uh, and you compound that over like a million times in terms of transactions, mm-hmm. uh, this could create like a material error. So as a public company, um, we need to make sure that we systems are implemented properly because like we don't want to you know, start reporting errors when we present our financials or even internally. Like for um, you know some of the departments and management that's kind of running the business, you know if we give them the wrong numbers, you know they think that you know this business line is doing super well, but you know in mm-hmm. fact you know there's some errors. It could lead to like incorrect decisions even internally, on you know how they should be running a business or like where the issues are or what's doing well. So it's really important uh, since we're so reliant on systems to be able to provide information that we have a lot of like data integrity. And we're also designing for the future. Like that's a big part of um, what I do and what my team does is like, we don't want to build it kind of as is, like we actually want to like future-proof a lot of our Mm -hmm. systems. So we need to kind of actually like predict a little bit on maybe this is like a small segment of the current business right now. But, you know, we see this in three or even five years you know, uh, it's going to have like a big trajectory and really going to grow. So that means that like the system that we're building, like we shouldn't be building for the right now. We should be building on like, you know, what we need three to even five years or even 10 years from what we need. Um, and I think this is the part that's the most interesting because you really don't know, like you don't have a crystal ball and say like, okay, I know that we're going to need this in the future. You really need to use a little bit of, you know, asking a lot of good questions and, Uh, You're gathering information um, to, you know, put together a plan on like, okay, we will need this type of system in five years and, you know, get investment on it. So a a part of my job is actually like, you know, paint, you know, gathering the data, kind of painting that picture, telling a story and um, requesting for like, okay, we need to invest, you know, this many dollars into this area because this is a growing area. And if we don't have the system, then like we would be struggling or like being really inefficient, you know, when when we get there. So yeah, you know, that's the more interesting. Uh, that's that's like to me, that's my like favorite part of my work. Um, and the other thing is like you know digital finance transformation. So um, moving processes that are like analog. So mm-hmm. you know there are you know believe it or not, um, and you know this is like at Amazon as well as Lula. Believe it or not, you know companies still have a lot of things that are like you know on. On pen and paper, basically yep, processes are on like pen and paper, um, or you know really disconnected legacy systems that don't talk to each other. So you uh, you have a lot of few you know, people doing work that isn't really value added for their time. Like we could definitely. Uh, leverage some of our team members to do more kind of elevated work, you know, if Mm -hmm. they didn't need to do, you know, like basic data entry. Um, It's, you know, taking, again, kind of like building kind of a comprehensive plan on like, how do we move off these kind of legacy systems or these like analog processes and uh, make it digital. So making sure we're kind of moving, having a plan to move it from like the older technology into the newer Mm -hmm. technology. Um, And a lot of it's, uh change management actually because people are very used to kind of like you know doing a great job at you know their current work a lot of the work is actually like building a culture of how do you build in a culture of continuous improvement so people are always open to like new ways of doing things and then also building a culture where you know sometimes it's not just the systems that need to change uh it's also like processes and thinking more outside the box so instead of everyone thinking within their kind of silo or processes. It's thinking like, okay, end to end, start to finish, like what should this piece of work or information look like from flowing through the company? So this might take a lot of collaboration with multiple departments. So you're not necessarily just a finance department, but you may need to involve like five or six different departments in order to streamline the whole process. um, And then you'll get it to like, this is like, the more efficient way that we can do it, and you know, cut out anything that's like less efficient or like not necessarily value add. And you know, it's 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 really interesting because you know, again, uh, you know, for me, why that gets me excited is that you know, if I look back at like what I want in terms of like how I want to do my work is that like, you know, I want to do things making making an impact, you know, adding adding value to how what we do. So yeah, this this is what really excites me about the work that I'm doing.
1: So is there, is there a story where you're like, I can't believe they're still using like a fax machine or like, or this paper transaction in in Little Lemon that uh, you can share with us or?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I think I, uh, I think there are a couple of processes where it's like, you know, we just recently replaced a system that was like, is it, I think it's like, it's, I think it's uh, when you ask questions about like, hey, why, why do we do this? It mm-hmm. kind of starts sparking the ideas of like, yeah, like why do we do this? And like, I think that's, you know, I think you'd be really surprised at like, especially when a company starts becoming larger mm-hmm. um, and, you know, not everybody has eyes over like every single process. And if you don't have like a culture of like people asking like, hey, like, why do we do this? Um, you know, is there a way to do this better? it's it's hard to have eyes over everything so there's things that you know i've kind of seen other like, oh, i can't believe we're still doing this the same way that we yeah. did it like you know 10 years ago we just ha- just started asking a question of how we can change it and i think it really comes from a little bit like grassroots as well and uh, people questioning about is there a way that we could do this better
1: yeah so I, I you know it's funny i have a very similar experience in public sector right and as you can imagine you know a lot of people think about transformation and technology investment in the retail, not the retail end of a business, right? The customer facing part, right? So, you know, in, in healthcare, it could be, you know, what does the, the patient or people coming to hospitals, like what do they experience? And we should transform that, right? Digitize medical records, um, provide online booking, things like that. But not a lot of people really consider. And in my time in finance, it was You know, the finance groups were kind of staying with the same systems, right? They want stability, they want predictability. So, that push for digital transformation, I feel like it's lost unless you have a person like yourself go in there and say, ask the questions of why we're doing corporate services this way and can we do it better, right? No one really asked that for a long time, I think, in a lot of different businesses until, you know, things are moving really, really quickly. So, like my, my job, we do contract management services and we just said no to digital e signatures for a long time. But then, you know, contracts don't get signed for you know ninety days because it has to go through all these different VPs and they're all in different offices and, and you know it's a piece of paper moving around and sometimes that piece of paper gets lost um, and you it get started cycle like all over again. So I definitely see that this transformation in corporate services is an industry that I didn't even really know about like until I really got into it. I'm not sure if that was the same for for you or were you, you've seen that before.
2: Yeah, I think um, pro- processes are always going to be re-looked at. Um, And I think the challenging thing is like, I guess there's like two different approaches. Like one is like, you know, you kind of have like a centralized team that is, you know, they, they kind of know all the best practices, Mm -hmm. you know, how to examine all the different processes and find opportunities. And then there's the other approach, which is like, you know, you encourage, you know, people doing the work and doing the processes to think about like how they could make changes. And I think like you need a little bit of both because it is a change management. So, you know, you can't just kind of like go in and you say like, hey, I'm gonna like make everything better. And, you know, I've I figured out a way to fix all the problems. Yeah. Um, but that only works sometimes, but like to be effective, like you actually need to kind of have both ways where it might be kind of like uh, doing it where, let's just kind of like educate about like what is the latest technology. So maybe like, you know, let's have some, um, you know, demos of, or case studies from like other companies and say like, you know, they they have a very similar process as us, you know, this is what they're doing. Like, you know, how do we compare ourselves Mm -hmm. with with them? You know, to kind of like start educating on, you know, what are some of the, uh, you know, the latest, either it's like the latest and greatest in technology or like, you know, these are like the best practices coming from like other companies, Um, you know, so it's kind of starts know sparking the ideas of like okay this is you know why we need to change it and it is kind of uncomfortable because there's like the you know the current state uh and you know you need to kind of move and get retrained on like the newer processes and systems but as long as people are open to that um then you know at least you're kind of like progressing towards a common goal Mm
0: -hmm. oh okay thank you for sharing all of that you know like has been going like I'm just trying to absorb as much as possible, you know, what been, you've been talking so far. Uh, I can h- help but notice that it's, it's a really um, demanding in terms of task and respons- responsibilities of what you've been look, look, doing so far. So with the current social conversation around, you know, diversity, minority rep- representation, gender equality, all those stuff. Uh, like if you, have you ever faced any challenges to that nature during your career, and makes those demanding tasks of yours even more, you know, challenging.
2: Yeah, um, I think um, like the like the companies I've been, have been in um, has been very supportive in terms of like encouraging or even having uh, special groups to like. I think like one of the key things like uh, for me is like you know, as you know, a woman and kind of in the like. Uh, like financial area, you know, there there are still uh, improvements to be made in terms of like, you know, how do we make sure that we have don't have like kind of unconscious bias when we're, uh, you know, working with each other. So I'm kind of like, a, like, I think I'm kind of, of an opinion where what we should focus on is sort of like, you know, equal work equality, as in like, okay, if everybody is doing the same work, then you know, you know, recognition in terms of like progression should be the same. And I think for the most part, you know, I I think that, you know, there's been lots of strides made in the past, you know, 20 years where, you know, this this is mostly the case. But I think like where we need to work on is probably more of that kind of like unconscious bias. You know, for for myself, I guess like I I never think about it that way. Cause you know, I think about like you know, I just go, go in, you know, do the best job I can, you know, and it should be seen that way. Uh, but, you know, I, I do see examples sometimes where I, I feel like that uh, what I'm saying doesn't necessarily get heard in the same way. And, you know, one of the things could be, it's just perception because, you know, when, you know, if you see me in person, I'm a very petite uh, person, uh, okay. you know, my voice is not like super loud. So, you know, I feel like sometimes I have to, um, you know, when I, I'm kind of like, you know, when I'm maybe presenting an idea, I, there is unconscious bias for me, where you know, I maybe what I'm saying doesn't sound as credible as you know what. Let's say you know, I don't want to kind of stereotype, but you know, like a you know a white male, you know, going into a meeting room presenting an idea, right? So that's something that I I never I don't take it as like a you know I I don't have like a chip on my shoulder and you know want to you know be on a soapbox and kind of say that. But, you know, I I do observe from time to time where it's like, you know, if I was kind of saying an idea at the same time, as another person that maybe stereotypically, they come off as being more the kind of image of like, you know, this is a a leader kind of like presenting an idea. Like, I feel sometimes it's like, okay, I have to kind of, you know, have an extra hurdle that I have to go through. So, and, but I think like, in, like, there's been a lot more focus on this and I'm, I'm glad that like, they're doing a lot more training about like, you know, people watching for their bias. And I think there's a lot more examples also in the media of, you know, people that are, it's more representative in terms of like, you know, it's really what, it's not what people look like or like not what people, not how it's, it's really like how, what people can do. Um, and people are like kind of more open to it. So I think there's been a lot of great strides and having more examples in the media helps of, of, you know, people, you know, just, just diversity in terms of like what people are accomplishing.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's great to hear. And I'm, I'm wondering if like, you know, being online now, is that make a different your stature? Cause I mean, you can't tell how tall anyone is these days, right? Online.
2: Oh, well, well that's, that's funny. Cause I was on a conference call and, um, I think we've just been communicating on email, um, with you know, one of our, our, uh, our vendors. And then I think like, they, they saw me on video for the first time and they're like, Whoa, like you look really young. <laughs> and like, oh, i'm like no. i'm not i'm not that young um and maybe it's just, i just look young uh so you know it, it just it still comes and i'm surprised i even came up like yeah, during yeah. during the call right i, I think they're just kind of making conversation
1: yeah. uh
2: but they're like whoa like i didn't know like you look so young i'm like i'm not young and i'm sure this job ages me like much quicker <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it, yeah it's, it's funny you'd get that kind of right right off the bat almost um now i feel like i feel like i'm more conscious of saying that too to people like on the flip side right um in this type of social environment right mm.
2: yeah i think it's it's um you know it's it's not making assumptions so i think and everyone everyone has biases so i think it's it's hard to get out a habit of making those kind of like quick assumptions or even when you're just making conversation right you're like you know you might be commenting on you know, appearance or like maybe some of your assumptions about the other person. And it doesn't come in from a bad place. Like you're not intending it for to yeah. be yeah, bad, but, but you know, you, you kind of like adding to uh, making it. Okay. Yeah. So it is a hard habit to kind of break out of. Yeah.
1: I guess, I mean, someone could take it like yourself, if you're fairly confident in yourself, you know, it's kind of like, you know, water off a duck's back where right? you don't really think much about it. Right. But maybe someone who is a bit more insecure or self-conscious about the way you know how young they are in the position they are, because um, you know maybe uh, you know you might be leading people who are younger than or older than you, right? Uh, in certain cases, if you're um, you know a senior manager in a certain place, you know, or or manager any place, you know, some people could be under uh, your your leadership but are older, right? So there are some people who um, might see that as you know just just might throw them off a little bit um, mm-hmm. for that comment like that.
2: One thing that I really uh learned is like leadership isn't necessarily about being able to do everything or know everything uh, and that's for me it's like um it's like a big blind spot for me because like knowledge and learning is so yep, important to me and i always feel like you know if i'm you know leading a group you know i need to know everything like that is happening in order for me to you know properly like be in a position of leader. You know but that's not really the case because like sometimes leadership is actually being able to provide that clarity of vision mm-hmm. right so and you're you're kind of helping by providing that clarity you're gluing people together because as you kind of move up in an organization or i guess you kind of move into um you know projects where you're not just contributing to kind of your direct team. Like you're actually trying to influence and kind of work and collaborate with other departments um, to accomplish something. Yeah, It becomes less important about, you know, what you do know because you're not going to know what the other department does. That's not even your area, especially, but when you need to collaborate them is you know, how could you provide a very you know compelling and interesting uh, reason for, you know, this is why we need to work together and uh, lead that way. Mm-hmm. That's something that's like it's it's such a light bulb moment for me when you know yeah. I figured out that hey, you don't need to know everything. You know, being a leader is you know just providing this is the vision and uh, a lot of the soft skills that come from like how do you enroll people to get interested and you know put their day to day work aside. And, you know help contribute to something that you know forming something that you know may not be you, know, you actually need their help to accomplish or even define like what this goal should be
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, thing, I hit that
0: yeah that's very true That like, you know like you can just form that on your own right
1: i, I think yeah i think you can be as I saying, a young leader young manager you can be intimidated by not being the smartest person in the room um but as you i think as you mature you know i i relish the fact that i'm not the smartest person right like that someone else is smarter or knows a bit more because you need different types of people to do certain type type of things that you can't just do everything so um no that's that's really uh really cool to hear from you emily especially with uh with our um our crew and, and how we started so maybe we'll segue to that a little bit um uh, so I think part of this part of this podcast, we wanted to ex- kind of explore a little bit about our, our crew history. So, you know, you came along, I think, maybe one or two years right. after we originally started, like, like yeah. when we first did our first retreat and we did our first retreat at, at Pender Island. Uh, and now you're telling me about some of this stuff, uh, about your background. And, I, you know, I kind of see it now. <laughs> um, you know, we were tasked with recruiting 100 new volunteers. I don't know if it's that, that was a goal that
2: was a goal that yeah. we set it was like goal. yeah yeah um so yeah around that time so i think this is like 20, 2007, 10, yeah. 2007 ish. 20. yeah around that time so um uh yeah how i joined the crew i believe kevin lee talked me into it yeah. and i think i showed up at a meeting and i think I was aligned with, you know, what, you know, the purpose is, but, you know, I was also kind of like, let's just, let's just be in it and kind of like, you know, you, you learn a lot. And I think this is huge for scouting. It's like, you learn a lot by doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you put yourself in a situation where you're going to be absorbing and kind of learning, um, you're going to be getting a lot out of the experience and, you know, that, was always kind of close to my heart, where it's like, if you're if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna like you know try my best and you know make it make the best out of the experience. Um, so at that time, like Steve Kent, that was like he was the uh leader for Scouts Canada at the time, and he brought in uh, almost like a charter, like you know, this is a vision of what what scouting in 2020 or what scouting should be like, mm. and um, the crew. Um, decide to, you know, we're going to put ourselves forward and, you know, help with some of these action points that's in the plan. And one of these action points was that, you know, there was definitely like a a decline in terms of like volunteers to uh, participate in a program. And I think in particular, um, you know, Rover age, so, you know, age like 18 to 26, so that young leaders Uh, and, you know, without young leaders, the organization can't grow because we're not adding uh, new insights, you know, we are not, um, kind of like, you know, cultivating like what scouting should be, which is like developing leaders. So I think, I remember, Paul, Like I, don't, I can't remember how we came up with 100, but I'm pretty sure like we were kind of brainstorming like, how we were going to contribute a goal. And then I think, you know, someone just said like, hey, well, why don't we just set a stretch goal for ourselves and see if we could throughout the year, like, re- you know, recruit or like, expose like, you know, at least 100 people to the scouting program. Mm-hmm. And you know we, you know, you know took that on, Um, and then I think like we had a plan on like okay how how we're gonna do this. You know, you know there's like a marketing plan where like okay where where do we kind of start putting scouting as like a place to volunteer where you can learn skills. You know, do we go to colleges and universities and you know start letting people know about the scouting program? And, you know, do we need to put, uh, if people are interested in outdoor skills, do we need to put some like workshops or like hikes together to you know, get people interested that way? But yeah, it was, it was like an ambitious goal. And I think like we, we learned a lot from doing it. And like, I think like I still use a lot of the learnings uh, mm-hmm. and skills I've, uh, from my time in the crew and my work now. Right. So same thing. It's like, Hey, like we have a goal. We don't know how we're going to get there. Like we, yeah. we know that it's the right thing to do. Needing to, work together as a team to do it. We may not have all the resources to do it either. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge. Um, so I, I kind of credit, you know, going through that experience with, you know, how I, uh, uh, you know, how I use those skills now as well.
1: I remember that the goal is like 50 at first. And then I think we just like goaded each other in that group to say that, you know, 50, you know, it seems like halfway, let's just do a hundred. Like there was a bit of just, you know, I guess ignorance of us when we were younger and but at the same time, like, I think we needed to set such an ambitious goal. Like you, you, what I learned and what I took away from it was, you know, you have this goal that's seemingly impossible, but if you don't have that just out of grasp type of goal, you'll never kind of push yourself to the limit because that's what I think we believe. We both believe that it was going to take for us to even get close to a hundred, um, is to push ourselves to that limit. But somehow we weren't, I mean, I think near the end of it, maybe we were like, we were kind of resigned to the fact that we might not get there because I think we were at 30 something by like midpoint, but. Yeah. Um, and yeah. well,
2: that's better than zero, right? Like, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I think it's like one of those things. is like, you have to set an ambitious goal because you, if you don't, you know, set there, set it there, then, you know, you might not be shooting for that high, right? You might yeah. be just complacent and be like, okay, we're okay with 10 but you know what if we set it as a hundred and then we reach like 30 something well that's way better than if we had set the goal up 10 mm, and I yeah. think it's and also it's like it's it's like learning how to like be looking at the goal and it's like it's really challenging goal you know staying motivated to trying to get there and you know being okay if you know we don't we don't get there because we still need to kind of acknowledge, like we made a lot of progress.
1: Yeah. I think so that, so Nick, for your context and he hasn't heard all the, like all the, a lot of these stories are, he's hearing for the first time. So it's kind of like a history lesson. That's true. <laughs> uh, so, so Emily and I, and, and a few of the, the first group that kind of started doing strategic planning in, in their group, uh, we, we were on an Island, literally on an Island for, you know, three days to come up with a strategic plan. I mean, today we do it on zoom for four hours on the weekend. That's nothing. Because back then we had to like eat, sleep and like think about the goals that we were going to set. Um, and that was actually my my first foray into like strategic planning. And I think having that early experience mm. really helped me in my career to ask those questions early on. Or maybe some people were just trying to figure out their job. Like, or I don't know if it was to my detriment because I was always thinking like, what's the strategic plan behind what I'm doing? But maybe sometimes you don't need that.
0: I, I feel like maybe... Maybe because you you went to that kind of strategic planning environment in terms of islands and spending whole three days there it, it might kind of help with you know how you how you tunnel your vision and everything um and I, I do agree with Emily in terms of shoot for a hundred and at least you get enough motivated to get into like the seventy eighty you know instead of just setting it like fifty, forty, ten right um, It has to be changing to to push you forward right and make you realize where your limits actually is. With that being said, like I, f- I feel like you've been through like really a lot scout Emily, like not just in scouting, but in terms of professional and everything as well. Like, how do you manage to balance and organize all those stuff into, you know just 24 hours a
1: day?
2: Yeah, so in my younger days, I didn't sleep um oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. yeah so um yeah paul remembers that um so but then i learned that kate this is not a sustainable way of um living um so um uh, because if you're not recharging and you're always kind of you know you know pushing yourself to kind of like that then you know you're you're not going to be able to continue to make it like a sustainable impact to the things that you want to do so sometimes you have to kind of like slow down to speed up, right, which to my younger self doesn't make sense because I was like, go, 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 like, let's just like, you know, get it, get it done. Um, you know, what, what more can we do in, you know, in this time, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, why I learned, you know, work for me is, you know, taking time to and actually like, you know, um, you know working with youth um, in scouting is actually a, like a recharger for me, because, you know, I'm you know, kind of seeing because, you know, through kind of like mentorship and coaching, you know, seeing them grow and develop into kind of young leaders of their own, you know, they have their own ideas, like that's very rewarding to me. And that actually kind of adds more into my uh, bucket. And I don't know whether you guys talk about the bucket concept, but it's like everybody has a bucket that you fill up with your water, with water. So that's your energy. And, you know, there's always like a hole in the bottom of the bucket and the water is like dripping out. And it might drip out at different rates, right? So there might be activity that really drains you. And you know, it doesn't refill back your bucket. Um, so you need to figure out one of those things that you know going to refill your bucket, like what are those things that is your water that you need to add more into your bucket. So for me, one of those things is like, yeah, it's actually working with youth. And you know, we go camping, we, you know, disconnect and, you know, just be a a group for a while and experiencing new outdoor adventures. Like that's, that's a recharger for me. For me, it could be um,
1: um,
2: like downtime for myself to reflect and write notes on, you know, how did this week go? Like what are the things that went well? Like what could be things that are improved? And, you know, what are those things that I'm kind of maybe um, putting off that I need to like reprioritize? And those are the it's important, but you know, less urgent things that are not shouting at me, but I need to prioritize them so that I'm actually going to be achieving things. And I think like when you have, I think also it's like, you also know that you only have so many hours in a day and you have to kind of, to a degree, like, accept. like, you just have to be realistic that, you know, there are certain things that are going to be progressing a lot slowly and you're going to be okay with that. As long as the things that are really important, are, are moving along. Um, and I think staying organized is so important because if you're constantly just kind of reacting to everything that's happening and you don't have a plan for your day, your week, your month or your year, uh, then you're not actually doing, like you may be doing a lot of things, but you're not actually accomplishing anything. And you're not actually doing the right things. With
1: your hours. Yeah, no, I remember like, I mean, we have to remember back in those days and, you know, I think when Emily and I first started uh, working with the crew, I mean, you were 20, I guess you weren't even finished school.
2: No, or, yeah, I was in yeah. second
1: year, third year. Yeah. And I, it was in like fourth or fifth year. So us to having that level of mental and stimulation on top of trying to do everything, right. It was, uh, it was a good breeding ground for us, I think. So, You know, Nick. I think I asked the golden question since we're wrapping things up. (laughs) Um, Kind of answered it. So, so one of the purposes for having this conversation, um, Emily, is just also, you know, we've got we had some great experiences, uh, and we could go on about the different stories that we had. Um, But you know, there's another twenty-year-old Emily somewhere, right? That's second year, and 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 building these skills, and maybe not getting enough sleep. Um, What would you say to that, Emily, I guess the version, the younger version of yourself, um, in terms of what you've learned over these last couple of years, what, what, what one piece of advice would you think is most important to give her?
2: Yeah. Um, I think being patient and I think prioritizing is important. So not saying yes to everything right away, but thinking about which yeses um are you going to say yes to and really focus on those but I mean honestly like looking back I'm like okay you know we you know yeah I you know not having like hindsight of like 2020 mm-hmm. and kind of looking back you know do I regret anything that I did when I was at age and you know the things that we were able to accomplish like with the crew and through scouting like I don't think I regret any of it mm-hmm. because it was such a amazing to kind of have all that support in terms of like a sandbox for trying out even like strategic planning like most people don't get to actually try out uh, strategic planning like unless you know they happen to be part of that in their careers or maybe they're part of like other you know volunteering or other ways that they're getting involved but you know most people don't get involved in that where you know you're you're working with somebody some a group of people to come up with like a vision of what you're going to do together and that is very special, you know. If I even compare with, you know, some of my you know, friends or like colleagues that I know, I, you know, they don't have, they never had that opportunity, at you know that age when you're kind of like twenty and you know the world's kind of open, possibilities are open, uh, to try some of that. So you know that's really valuable. Um, and I think the other, the other thing is, you know, you you think that in when you're twenty like you only have so many possibilities and you're like, you know, out of time to be able to kind of, you'll pick what you want to do. Because I think when you're in your early twenties, like most people are going through school, they're trying to decide like, you know, what are they going to do with their life in terms of your um, career? And you you don't want to make the wrong choices. But, you know, looking back, like there is no wrong choice, Mm -hmm. right? As 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 long as you pick something that you love doing, you're passionate about, you're going to put time in, like that is the right choice for you. And you don't need to follow what other people are doing because 10 years later, you know, none of it even matters. Right. There's people who have, you know, gone off a true like non-traditional path and did something that they were really enjoyed and they, you know, invested a lot of time. They're really good at it. And you know, their you know, success is relative. So I think like most important is like you're know, not picking the right path a path that you really enjoy doing and you are going to enjoy putting time in and making it the most for yourself right
1: yeah i, I agree 100 i really like it like especially
0: that part about you know um there's no you know if you put if you love something you put a time to it there's no wrong choices i really love that
1: so maybe maybe I mean I have another follow-up to that a little bit. I mean, you're still you're still a very active scout leader, right, Emily? Um And we got rovers and uh and are both our groups. It is you no know, now you knowing what we knew now, like in terms of experience we got, what do you think if we were to start a crew again now, like if you were to join a crew or start a crew now, what are some of the things that you think we should maybe focus more of that maybe we didn't back then or maybe we have to now in in this, you know environment because when we started the group there the iphone one just came out which is i used for people's like whoa um uh to to just gotta get perspective iphone one just came out when we kind of really started getting together right and now it's like 13 this year so what do you think we need to do as leaders uh for younger people today um given all the changes and transformation and things like that that's a tough
2: one Like, I think, I think like, I, I, I can't really think of anything that's like, what, what would be helpful. I think, I, I, I mean, I, like from hearing what has been, uh, you know, different directions that people have taken with the crew over the years. Uh, and I agree with that because I think there's no, you know, there, there are some things that are like core to what the crew is and what the scouting movement is. And, you know, it, I think it goes back to like, you know, you, you paddle your own canoe, yeah. right? But it's totally open to interpretation. And I actually really like it when, um, you know, you kind of like acknowledge like, okay, these are the key things you want to learn and skills you want to learn. You know, you want to learn leadership. You want to learn teamwork. You want to learn, you know, how to communicate with each other. And, you know, you want to, um, you know, inspire each other and accomplish more. I think that's core. Um, but, you know, in terms of like how you do that, like, I think it's, it's totally open to whoever is in the crew at that time, because it's, it's really, it's, it's their crew, right? And, you know, if they want to take it in a different direction, um, I think, I guess, like, if we we were kind of like leaders or like mentors, I think we should support that, um, and kind of give space, uh, for people to do that, um, and, um, I think, like, what's really important is having, like I see kind of like being maybe a mentor or scouter to, to a degree, you're kind of a little bit of like a, a little bit of a cheerleader as well as like, maybe sometimes you have to give some, you know, tough love type of conversation. And I think like, you know, that's, that's super valuable um, because, you know, I certainly appreciate it when I was a Rover and, you know, I had those conversations with my like mentors and my scouters. I think those are like those critical conversations that like really changed my perspective and like really set me on the right path. So I think those are really essential elements to kind of keep, um, with the crew, but I think anything else is like, you know, honestly, it's sky's the limit. It's, you know, currently, you know, whoever is part of the crew is, you know, make the most of this time. Right. You know, think big, um, because like, this is like a safe area to be able to kind of try new things
1: yeah i i mean i like what you said about giving space i think that's something i i struggle with at times as a as a volunteer and kind of a mentor advisor like i want to give nick a lot of space but at the same time as nick knows i give my opinion quite directly sometimes and you know i think it's it's not that like when we were when we were younger so uh, emily and i also went to the philippines for two two weeks not with each other we the whole group um So we whole group went to the Philippines, and this was after the trip we we spoke about with Kevin. And I I feel like when I would reflect on back on that, there was a lot of space given. Like there was a lot of just let's see how this goes, um, and you know we we made some mistakes, and and there were some uh, very interesting uh, stories from that trip. But we also got a pretty crazy experience being in the south of Philippines teaching people like how to camp, right?
2: Um, And I think we learned a lot from it too. I think we learned a lot about, like, I know for me, um, from going on the Philippines, uh, international project trip was, I learned a lot about kind of like privilege Mm -hmm. and, you know, I never knew that, you know, scouting could be privileged because when we, uh, uh, talked to some of the scouts group there, they had a scouts group that was for, uh, street kids essentially. Yeah. So, you know, they, you know, there wasn't like a, a, you know, safety net of, you know, a a school system. So if you were um, sort of, you know, uh, you know, maybe you weren't in the best neighborhood, like scouting was actually outlet for them to be able to go to school and like learn something Mm -hmm. and be part of like a community where, you know, know, there are, uh, there's kind of like a safety net. Mm -hmm. And I think there was also, so, you know, we saw that there was like a a scout group that, you know, some of the leaders are like, yeah, like we, we um, give an opportunity for street kids to join scouting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just think about like, I'm like, how privileged are we where, you know, we're kind of in our, um, you know, we have like the schools or like gyms where, you know, we have a space for us and, you know, most people who join scouting not it's not because that is the only place we can go. It's like here's an extra, extracurricular that you know their parents sign them up for. Um, So and I I think that's like one of the things that kind of really open your eyes when you try to um you know connect Mm -hmm. with um, connect with other people in the world in a bigger way because you kind of realize that um you know everyone is like human. But it's kind of a little bit about like, where do you want to put your time in to like create the impact, right? So it's like you, know, you, you know, you could, you could you could watch Netflix for for two hours, right? And you get a lot of personal satisfaction from that, right? Maybe it's it's funny or something like that, um, or you could put two hours into you know potentially kind of creating like a community of you know, other people that are also kind of like like like-minded and you know you're helping yourself develop you're helping them develop and potentially you might be doing that as like a your project that might be helping other people
1: yeah yeah and and that was a great opportunity that you know like our leaders at the time gave us and um, they gave us the opportunity to experience that right Um, without being being a cheerleader but not like you know, maybe some of the other programs uh, or things that we do these days are, are so like, I guess, in you know, it's such a controlled environment. Not to say that was out of control, but like it was, you know, we experience a lot of things now in a very much controlled environment. Um, and, you know, you can see people say going hiking on Instagram now, but back then you couldn't see people doing those experiences. So it seems more controlled now because you've seen so many people do it and, and everywhere you go around the world, um, they're just so, you know, there's just so much more control I guess, uh, and, and to provide youth with that ability to be, you know, we were in, you know, I think we we're singing songs in this orphanage with these street kids, right? Like in the middle of nowhere. And that was our, like, you talk about privilege and learning about it. It's easy to watch YouTube and it's easy to maybe, you know, walk around Vancouver sometimes, but to see that, like that level of uh, despair at the time, you know, you, we can replicate that by just being, you know, here.
2: Yeah, and I think it just creates a lot of, like, awareness of, um, you know, what, like, why, I guess, like, what privilege is, and I can get, in a way, it's also like, well, what can you do? But it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that, like, everybody, like, for example, like, every iPod doesn't have to be like, oh, you have to go and, you know, um,
1: go to the slums know. every time.
2: Exactly, right? Because, uh, you know, you need to designate, like, well, what is your purpose of doing it? Maybe it's just experiencing uh, scouting across culturally right? Maybe, you know, it's just more like an adventurous trip mm-hmm. where, you know, you and a bunch of other rovers are, you know, just mm. going to go on a hike in a different country because, you know, that's on your bucket list. Right. You need yeah. to define what your purpose is. Um, that's true. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's like, you know, the, the takeaway from that is that um, you, you learn a lot doing it and you're kind of, you know, together. Those are some, honestly, like those are like, you know, lifelong memories yeah. that you're going to have. you're never gonna regret that you made that trip right
1: no i think i think before speaking to you before about this you know i knew i i referenced the trip a lot because it was it was um very interesting time and 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 yeah like I, i feel like connecting and then reconnecting with you know other people on that trip maybe is something that um we, we can do so easily now, right? Like, because everyone's on Facebook, everyone's on all these yeah. social media, it's easy to connect to everyone. Um, but then you start to appreciate the things that you learned back in the day and what you take with you now, so. Okay, I think yeah. we're, we've been a bit over, uh, Emily. Um, thank you for being with us, really appreciate uh, it.
2: Thank you for yeah. having me come and join a chat.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much, Emily. I learned a lot about today's, you know, um, I learned about the trips that, I just so happened not to be there, but it sounds really exciting. But most of all, I thank you for sharing all those tips about you know uh, making professional decisions. You know, preparing, thinking, the whole thing—not just the processes. All those kind of things—it's it's just insightful. And uh, I think I'm gonna replay this episode multiple times for the edited. But uh, thank you so much for
1: sharing.
2: Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, Nick, thanks, Paul, yeah. for uh, having me join in.
1: Yeah, thank you, Emily.